honor him this morning. Thank you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I, this morning, I, I submit to what you have to say to me through this brother. And we are eagerly anticipating your word and uh, what you've got for us today, God. Praise the Lord. I just, uh, before I start, I want to just acknowledge I, my wife, some of her family is here and my parents are here. And I actually just want to take a moment to honor my parents because, well, really two things. One, without them, I wouldn't be possible. And secondly, they celebrated yesterday 45 years of marriage. So... You know, and you got to understand, I, I'm, an only, I'm an only child. I'm an only child, and I'm a grown-up, and they still go to everything, you know, <laughs> everything. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that so much. Um, so I just want to give them honor for that. But uh, I want to just draw attention for just a moment to uh, the book of Psalm. King David wrote this. Um, I want to open up with this passage, and then we can go forward. Would you join me in doing that? You should see it up on the screen too. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Amen. You know, King David is trying to encourage us that we ought to continually approach God and acknowledge who he is through our praises and through our worship. And the song we sang earlier, the lyrics said, your praise will forever be on my lips, will always be on my lips. And it just occurred to me, is that do we really have praise for him here, but also outside of here, right? Because worship really is not just here, but it's everywhere involved in everything that we do. Worship being a very important and vital thing in the life of a Christian. And I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing for this message, I really was in awe of this topic. And I thought, God, for how important this is, I'm not sure if I'm up to the task. But you know, he said he wanted it said anyway. And you know that in the Bible, it refers to worship 8,629 times. I think that's pretty important. That's pretty significant. And this is what I want to share with you today. I just want to draw your attention to the worship of God. And if I was to give you the microphone, had everybody come up here one at a time and give your definition, your explanation of worship, what would you say? A lot of our answers probably be pretty consistent. It might be pretty much the same, but there'd be a lot of other differences in the definitions because the experience of God is limitless. The experience of God and worshiping, you can't just define it in just a few words. And the aim today is to really look at it and turn it like a diamond. You know when you have a diamond in in your hand and as you turn it, you see different angles of that diamond, different facets. Worship is like that. It's so dynamic. And worship, really, what is it? More importantly, what's the purpose of it? And you see, worship becomes more significant to you when you have a better understanding of what it is and why it's important in your life. You can read books about worship. There's a lot of books that are written about worship, but if all you do is just read it, all it is is information. But really, worship is taking that information and that knowledge and experience and putting it into your life and living a life of worship. And, you know, worship is not for us, but it's for God. But when we worship... 
we gain his presence. So gaining his presence is really not the focus. We might want that, but worship is for him. In James 4, 8, it tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Worshiping God, it's like giving him an invitation. An invitation to enter your life in the areas of your life, the situations of your life. And when he comes and he shows up, he comes in a personal, real, and intimate way. How many know what I'm talking about? Worship, like I said, if you would come here and define it, a lot of people can say different things. Some might even say that worship is a natural reaction to a spiritual, supernatural God. And worship really tells us the best story about God. Because when you're worshiping and you're expressing that worship and you're living that worship out, it really tells the best story about him because it's showing your reverence and your respect and your appreciation and your admiration for who he is. And that word worship, it actually comes from another word, an older word. It's derived from another word that says worth-ship, which means showing God the worth that he holds in your life. Worship is an opportunity to give. I found a, in, the, in the, a welcome table, there's actually a devotional book called Our Daily Bread. If you were to search back in the history of that, they published a story about Abraham Lincoln in June 4th, 1997, from that devotional book. I'm going to read what the story says about Abraham Lincoln. It says, imagine what a heavy schedule of appointments President Abraham Lincoln had to keep day after day. Yet when an elderly woman with no official business in mind asked to see him, he graciously consented. As she entered Lincoln's office, he rose to greet her and ask, how may I be of service? She replied that she had not come to ask a favor. She had heard that the president liked a certain kind of cookie. So she had baked some for him and brought him to his office. With the tears in his eyes, Lincoln responded, You are the very first person who has ever come into my office asking not, expecting not, but rather bringing me a gift. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's the story. You know, and it makes me think that God, he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And he gave the greatest thing of all, his son Jesus, on our behalf. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give his son. He didn't have to prove his love for us. Just simply who he is ought to cause us to worship him. But worship is our opportunity. It's our chance to go to him and simply give. Give him the worship, the worship that he deserves. To show God that the worth that he holds in your life. Today's message is authentic worship. And I chose that word authentic because it describes something that is real and genuine. It's not fake or copied. Or not just going through the motions. If God was to examine our worship today, what would he find? Would it be authentic or synthetic? Would there have been any effort at all? Or is it coming in on Sunday and just checking off that you did it? Ouch. I didn't mean that. (laughs) Okay, maybe I did. So I don't know who this hits the most today, but I know it applies to all of us. But I want to show you that authentic worship starts with three fundamental, foundational, core things in order to have authentic worship. And the first is this. Authentic worship starts with your relationship with God. In your bulletin, you can even fill in the blanks. Authentic worship starts with your relationship with God. Because you see, worship stems from relationship, not religion. There's a difference. 
Religion says, I have to go to church, I have to come, I have to participate, I have to bow, I have to uh, fall to my knees, I have to then get back up, I have to, I have to do these things. It's a religious regimen. But relationship with God says, I want to go to church, I want to raise my hands, I want to give my heart, I want to participate in the songs, I want to reflect him in my life, at my job, in my home, I want, I want, I get to, there's a difference Because you see, true, authentic Christianity, it's not religion, but a relationship with God through Christ. That actually would make a good Facebook uh, post, right? True Christianity is not religion, but a relationship with God through Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, it says this. When somebody becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And all of, these, all of these new things are from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ Jesus, what, through what he did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sin against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message that he has given us to tell others See, here Paul in the scripture and many other scriptures describes how God made a way whereby we can have a relationship with him through who? Christ. Christ Jesus. God reached for us. He did everything. He, he, put, it, he put it all on the line. He made a way where we can connect with him, have relationship with him. And our role is to keep that connection, maintain that contact with him so that we can grow in that relationship with him. You know, the trouble is that sometimes our connection with God fades. It does. Sometimes it fades so much that you're completely out of touch. You know, have you ever had made really good friends with somebody in high school? It might have been somebody in college. It might have been somebody in the military. It might have been at camp. You just, you just hit it off. You were just friends. I mean, best of friends. But then as the years went by and time went on, what happened? You lost contact with them. You might be thinking of that person right now. You know what happened? You just lost connection with them. And you know that person that you're thinking of might even be on your phone contact list. And you know what it would simply take? is just with one finger dial their number and then just say hello. Or to send them a message saying that you're thinking about them. Because you see, any relationship requires a constant ongoing connection and effort of staying in contact with that person. And the same thing with God. We let our relationship with him fade if we don't make the necessary effort to stay in connection with him, to communicate with him. You know, I've said this before here. Sometimes we need to just, if to help, maybe just put God on our contact list. God is right there on our contact list. And send them a message. Just put up the text message. Start typing away. It could be a prayer. Say, God, I'm thinking about you. I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm here. I, I just really want to live a life for you and... Here's my moment of prayer. And just, just type it out. Just say, God, I'm thinking about you. And send, maybe. What would happen? What would you do if God texted you back? <laughs> what would it look like? You pull out, oh, blip. I mean, whatever your notification is. It might not be blip, but something. And you look at it, and it says, O-M-E. I'm thinking about you, too. I always think about you. In fact, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I have a future for you, a hope for you, for you to prosper. 
for you to live. And then he puts a little smiley face, smiley face, kissy face, smiley face with big teeth, you know? If you have a flip phone, you know nothing, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if, hold on to that flip phone because it's making a comeback. See, our worship life says that you're committed to a growing relationship with God, right? He's just not number one in your life. He's, in, he's connected with every area of your life. You know, if you have that life of worship, he's woven into everything you do. God designed worship as a means where we can come into an intimate relationship with him. Worship flows and grows from relationship and experiences with God. Watch this. See, prayer, it, it really starts with that. It really starts with prayer. Because prayer is like talking. It's like having a conversation with God. It's like the relationship that you have with someone. What do you do? You talk. And as you talk, you get information from that person. That person gets information from you. And it's a dialogue back and forth. And then you you grow from that. Because that prayer then brings about a growth of relationship. And then that relationship is like fellowship. It's like you're bonding and growing in relationship in this process. And then that, that relationship then brings experience. Then you have experience. You have now what uh, brings an expression into worship. It goes from prayer to relationship. Relationship brings experience. And then as those experiences then lead you into worship. Do you see that? God doesn't have to have our worship. But we have to worship to please him. And our worship life, our singing, our praying, our studying of his word... Is serving are designed by God to bring us closer to Him and to cause us to be more like Him. Have you ever noticed that you tend to take on the traits and the characteristics of the people that you hang around the most? Have you noticed that? You know, it could be at your job, it could be at your home. It's just that as you're with each other, you end up kind of making the same facial expressions, you start making, uh, have the same sayings, you start making the same jokes, or Whatever the case may be, because you're just in constant contact with that, with that people, with that group. And it's the same with God. Our worship not only honors God, but it's also for our own good, our learning, our growth. Worship brings and helps us to develop God-like and Christ-like characteristics. You know, Jack Hayford, a pastor, an author, had something very interesting to say. He said, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. Did you get that? Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. You see, when we worship God, we begin to value what God values. We gradually take on his character and his likeness and his qualities. And no, we're not becoming a God, but we're sure looking like him. And you know what else it takes to build relationship? It takes time. Your good relationships take time, the effort of time, to apply the time. And time is the greatest way that we can worship. Do you know why? Because time is valuable. Time is probably one of the most valuable things that we have. God's looking for an ongoing relationship with you. And when you, he sees you open up your heart and sees your desire in your heart to get to know him, his heart opens up to hear everything that you have to say. So we go from one, relationship. And secondly, authentic worship starts with our dis- your disposition, not your location. Meaning that worship is not created from the location. It's not like as if you show up here and then all of a sudden that activates your worship. No, worship is activated from the heart. Now that heart of worship creates the disposition 
of worship. What is, what is that? What is this position? It's actually the tendency. It's someone's tendency to act or to think or behave in a particular way. It's a personality. It's someone's usual attitude or mood. It's a characteristic. It's a trait. It's like a branding. It's what you're known for. It's not what you're known to do. And Jesus tries to explain this to the woman that he meets, the Samaritan woman he meets at the well. In just a moment, we're going to look at that passage in John 4, but I want to set something up here. Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and so the Samaritans were like the long-lost cousins of the Jews. Basically, they had a mix of Gentile and Jewish blood. And the Jewish, the full Jewish people would avoid them at all costs. But, get this, they, they worship the same God. They worship the same God, but in different locations. And here, they worship the Samaritan the Samaritans had their place called Mount Gerizim, and the Jews had their location where they worshipped in Jerusalem. That almost sounds like a Sunday in America. The woman asked Jesus, which place is the right place? And she was implying Mount Gerizim. But Jesus was saying, no, your thinking's not right. It's not about the place where you worship. Worshiping where you worship is not the point. But it, the point is that you worship in spirit and in truth. And yes, you have to come to church. So please do me a favor, everybody. Do, you know, promise me that when you leave here, later on you don't say, well, Joe said we don't got to go to church. We can worship him anywhere. All right? That's not what I'm saying. We do have to come together because God says we need to. And there's a benefit of that. And that's a different sermon. But the exact location is not what's important. But what matters is that, one, we worship God with all of our heart. And, number two, that we understand correctly who we are worshiping. And Jesus points that out in verse 22, so watch it when it comes up. We need, to, we need a heart and the knowledge. The scripture is going to come up on the screen. Pardon me, verse 20 is not there, but I'll read it, and then we'll jump on 21. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it is here, Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? And Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship here, the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. He's referring to himself. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus is teaching us how we worship is what really counts. And authentic worship in spirit and truth comes from a genuine heart. A genuine heart is needed to worship that way. And we learn from scriptures that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In fact, everything what we say and what we do and how we do and how we say it really is a reflection of what's in the heart. Are you with that? Worship is an outward expression of the inward condition of the heart. I can tell a little bit about your heart by the way you worship. Ouch. Worship is an expression of the depth of the knowledge of God, the revelation of who he is. Because Jesus said this to the woman, you Samaritans know so little about the one you worship. He points out that worship is, involves knowledge and understanding of who God is. It's not just emotion. You, you have to know about the one that you worship. Do you see that? Jesus tells us how we worship is what matters, not the location. Verse 24, it says, for God is spirit. It meaning it's not limited to a physical realm or a physical location. 
And also says, so those who worship him must worship one in spirit and two in truth. So our expression of our worship, it comes from a sincere heart, a humbled heart. It ought to be that way. It ought to be sincere. Now, how many of you can be honest? Don't raise your hands. Have you ever given an insincere apology? Okay. Right? There's a difference. And on the outside, it might have looked right. The words might have been right, but boy, on the inside, it was not right. You know, just not right. So can we actually worship all look right on the outside? Can we say all the right things, do all the right things, come to the right place at the right time, and still not be right because the heart's not right? You know, and another thing, when, if we stand here and we're looking at the words of the songs and we don't engage the worship and we're just reading the words, or we're just reading the words and singing the words, but we don't engage our worship. It's not worship. We might as well call it karaoke. <laughs> because it's not worship. Right? There's a, there's a difference. And God's not looking for good karaoke singers. He's looking for those that will worship in spirit and in truth. You know, and it's not a performance either. He's not looking for the person, the next contestant on America's Got Talent. He's not looking for the, certainly not looking for the next American Idol. He's looking for someone that's going to worship in spirit and in truth. Are you with that? See, worship is expressive by its rule, by its nature. Do you agree with that? You know, there's many forms of worship. But the ones we always think of when we think worship is when we come together and we sing. You know, I had a dear friend who was a youth pastor where uh, very often he was also asked to lead worship. Okay, he was not the minister of music. Um, I think all he can do barely was sing. And I'll, this is why I'm going to say this. <laughs> is that when he sang, he like sang in between the keys. I mean, he had the ability to sing uh, sharp and to sing flat. And then every once in a while, he hit the note as he's singing. So his, his pitch might not have been perfect, but his worship was perfect in the eyes of God. And as a result of that, of being a genuine worshiper, and he's leading the songs, you don't think about how he's singing. All you're doing is that the presence of God is there. And that's what, that's what mattered most before anything else. And do you know that I'm convinced that if the, the men in the body of Christ will break out of that, whatever hinders the expression of worship, and sing the song loud, and sing it bold, and, and that tenacious praise, I think that the walls that the devil has put around us, the dark clouds that he's cast over us, our church, our community, our region, around our workplace, around our home, will come down. So I, I encourage you, sir, your home, you have a favorite worship song, sing it. Don't worry about what it sounds like, sing it. Let the atmosphere Change because of your worship. Be that lead. Be that example. And see how everything will change. Begin to sing at your place of work. You know, they don't have to hear you. It can be loud enough just for you to hear it. And watch how your workplace will change. Man, I didn't mean to say that. That's something different. Where was I? God wants to be recognized. He doesn't need it, but we're his creation. He wants that. Because worship is our response to God. It is what we give in our devotion and commitment to him. 
Worship is how we pay deep, sincere, awesome respect and love and reverence to the one who created us. We owe him that. The worship of God involves a whole life. It can't be limited to a location for just an hour and a half. Charles Spurgeon, anybody heard of him? He says that all places are places of worship to the Christian. Wherever he is, he ought to be in a worshiping frame of mind. So God, he can't be isolated to an hour and a half on one day of your week. Our worship has to be throughout all of our life and everything we do. If we're just isolating only to an hour and a half on one day, we're missing the fullness that a lifestyle of worship and praise can bring. We should respond to him through worship in our home, in the way we speak, how we act towards one another, how we raise our children, how we manage our homes, our finances. If you really think about it, worship has to do with the way we work, the way we drive our cars. Hello, somebody. The way we dress, the way we use our words, our thoughts, our actions, everything. It involves your whole life because worship is a way of life. Actually, no, worship is the way of life. Worship is the way of life that impacts every area of your life, every part of your being. Maybe I can change the words a little bit. It's not about the place. It's about your passion. That's where worship comes from. You can express worship and praise everywhere you go because God is everywhere. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, he's our God. If he's your God and you can worship him here in these walls, he has to be the God that you worship outside the walls, right? He's got to be the God that you worship not just on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Are you with that? If you're a student, sorry to break the news, in a couple weeks you're going back. <laughs> if he's, you worship him here, you have to worship him there on that campus. Mom, Dad, if he's uh, the God you worship here, he's got to be the God you worship in your home. He's got to be the God that you worship at your job. You've got to worship him everywhere. Amen. Our next point here is number three is authentic worship starts with your devotion to God. Authentic worship says your life and all you do is devoted and committed to him and him alone. You are loyal to God and worship him only. You won't give anything more worth in your life than him. He's not just number one in your life. He's involved and connected in every of your life. Perhaps that's why it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I think if we keep that commandment, everything else stays on track. Your devotion means you won't move your worship that belongs to God to anything else in your life. God created, designed us to worship. And the original created design was to worship him. We have this irresistible urge and impulse to worship him. But since man has existed, mankind has worshipped something. Its ancestors, plants, the moon, the stars, the suns, the trees, the fires, even self. With that in mind, if a person is not worshipping God, he or she is worshipping something. He or she is worshipping something to satisfy their own need. That's worship that is corrupt. People turn away from God. Paul said this in Romans 1. says that they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. John says in 1 John 5.21, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. See, many things try to take God's place in our life. 
But if we even allow the small compromises, before we know it, the small compromises lead us away a path that's off of God. God says that he describes himself as a jealous God, and righteously so, because worship only belongs to him. Do you get that? He says this to the Israelites in Exodus 34. Be very, very careful never to compromise with the people there in the land where you are going. For if you do, you will soon be following the evil ways. Instead, you must break down their heathen altars, smash their abeliks they worship, and cut down the shameful idols. For you must worship no other God but Jehovah, for he is a God who claims absolute loyalty and exclusive devotion. I like how that says that. For he is a God who claims absolute loyalty and exclusive devotion. God is warning, telling the Israelites that where you're going, that culture, that environment, if you're not careful and you compromise, it'll corrupt your worship. It'll corrupt your character. And in the same way, our culture, our world, if we're not careful and we compromise, it corrupts our worship. It corrupts our devotion to him. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, I don't have any idols. You know, I don't have some kind of statue thing or whatever this uh, obelisk thing is. But an idol actually could be any person, an object, an activity that you give higher priority in your life than a relationship with God. An idol can be your home, your job, a vehicle, a boat, a motorcycle, a relationship, or even your family. An idol can be a pet, a computer, or whatever you look at on the computer because you're putting that as a higher priority than a relationship with God. An idol can be alcohol, drugs, sin, sex, because you're putting a higher value in that than your relationship with God. See, watch this. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus points out that you can't have split devotion. You can't have divided devotion. It says this, 16:13, for neither you nor anyone else can serve two masters. You will hate one and show loyalty to the other or else the other way around. You will be enthusiastic about one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, both God and money. You know, the end of that verse, you can almost put a fill-in-the-line blank. You cannot serve God and you fill in the blank. What is it in your life that's going to fill in that blank, right? You know, think about what happened to Judas, okay? Judas, one of the disciples, in the middle of everything that's happening with Jesus, his loyalty faded, and it faded most when he was enticed by the money that the chief priest gave him to sell out Jesus. And you know, Judas had a craving for money, of materialistic things. Basically, he had greed. Greed was his weakness. Greedness is what caused him to fade his loyalty and devotion to Christ. And do you know, John chapter 12, verse 6, actually says that he was a thief. He was hold the money bag. He was like the uh, accountant, so to speak, of the ministry. He actually was the same person who in, in, John, in the book of John, the only disciple to, to, to see when Mary Magdalene took that perfume jar and poured it on Jesus' feet to wash his feet, he said that that was a waste because that was a year's worth of wages. And you know that that comment, his comment, was already a reflection of what was going on in his heart. 
It was already a sign, an outward sign of an inward change that was happening in his heart, of his attitude towards Jesus. Where the heart is, the rest of the life will go. And here, we know, we know how the rest of the story goes. He put more value into that money, into the greed, than he did on Jesus. It caused his loyalty to fade. Judas moved the value in the money, and he worshipped the money and the seductive power of the wealth. You know, what's interesting is that, I mean, it was no secret that Jesus knew that he was a thief. It's definitely no secret that God knew that he was a thief. But why would God allow that? Why would he put up with the errors of our lives that are, show disloyalty to him, that show a lack of devotion to him? I wonder, this is just me speaking, what if that was an example that God's intention for redemption for all mankind was to even reach for those that were like the worst of the worst or even those that were still in, of, of, of disloyalty to him? Unfortunately for Judas, he, he failed. He took his own life. But even there's Peter. Let's look that on the flip side. Let's end this positively. Here's Peter showed an act of disloyalty of Jesus, to Jesus by disowning him, like de- denying that he even knew him. But thankfully, let's see the contrast in the direction of things. Peter f- went on, it just into the love of God, into the redemptive power of God, to just stay with God and move in his direction and then allow God to uh, move in his life. A big difference in that. Worship. Derived from the word worship means showing God the worth that he holds in your life. And worshiping towards something else other than God is really just placing your value and worth more on that thing than God. And you're going to worship something. You're going to worship whatever you make supreme. It's possible that you worship self, yourself. And you're putting yourself before God. You're putting pride before God. And it's going to get hot in here in a minute. What is your throne? What are you giving more worth? That is your God. That is your idol. If you find yourself not being able to give it up, you don't control it. It controls you. Here, theologian, lecturer, poet from Boston, Massachusetts in 1800, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, A man will worship something. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. And I, I ask you, all of us, myself, what are we becoming? What do we worship? What's the most important thing in our life right now? Because what is in your life that's trying to divide, distract your devotion to God? What we have our eyes on, what we're fixated on, what we're focused on, that is what we worship. Are we giving too much worth to or spending too much time on the smartphone, on social media, on the TV screen, on the computer, on video games, on video clips, uh, shopping, buying stuff, possessions, looking in the mirror, beauty, too, much, too many selfies? What else is taking time away, focus and loyalty away from God? What's stealing the worship away that belongs to Him? What you are worshiping, what are you worshiping? Be careful, please, because what you are worshiping, you are becoming. Now, there's a way that this can all be reset. 
Paul describes this, or in Romans is described this way. In verse uh, 1 through in chapter 12, it says, So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg of you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. Do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but be changed within by a new way of thinking, like renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. You know, as you hearing the words of idols or worship or what's taking it away and the, the move of God's spirit in your life, God, I just, it, it occurred to me, Doug, the scripture, his patience leads us to repentance. Is that right? His kindness. Yes, Romans 4. His kindness leads us to repentance. That's our job. He's so kind and so patient and so willing that he gives us time to repent and change direction and go his way and not our way or that way. And you know, I want to wrap this up today with sharing with you uh, a song from Jimmy Needham. It's called Clear the Stage. And a number of years ago, I heard the song, and I, I've never forgotten it. It just really drew my attention to worship. It really put a perspective on worship and really touches on this. So I, I pray that it ministers to you um, in a profound way. Can we hear it? And the lyrics will be on the screen. And then the worship team can come up. Clear the stage and set the sound and the lights ablaze If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's fueling half revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can Sing all you want to You can sing all you want to Still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song Break from all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper I beg him please to open up his mouth and speak And pray for real upon your knees until they blister Shine the light on every corner of your life Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open And read the word and put to test the things you've heard Until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can 
best you can. Sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Oh, worship is more than a song. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. You clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves it. Anything I put before my God is an idol. And anything I want with all my heart is an idol. And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything that I give all my love is an idol. Cause I can sing all I want to. Yes, I can sing all I want to. Let's stand together. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, did that song reach your heart? <laughs> oh, praise you, God. You know, it's really uh, appropriate to really respond to the Lord in this way. And I think when there's areas and things in our lives that really need uh, God to really deal with, we bring it into his light. Bring it to his light. And as, the, as you guys start to play, I just want to encourage you, let's just pray for a moment. I mean, if it means that we close our eyes and just bow our heads, we can do that. So just focus on nothing else but just him. And, you know, I'd like to just take a moment to allow you to just be here before God and just acknowledge that there really is something in your life that has stolen your worship away from him, stolen your devotion. And bring this into the light in this way. If that's you, if that is you, and you mean business with God, and you want to get back into the right track with him and let nothing else be before your God, just raise your hand and let him know that here today. Amen.